sit back in your seats, get something to eat, and watch this movie. Don't let the kids see it, because, well, let, let, we'll let you hear the, the, the um, beginning first. Thank you. Hello, welcome to Left of the Projector. I am your host, Evan, back again with another film discussion from the left. I want to let you all know you can now support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash left of the projector pod. I'll be bringing out new bonus content, listener requests, and so much more. Go check it out. Please support the show. As always, you can follow along on the socials, Instagram, left of the projector pod, and TikTok for now, I guess. Also at left of the projector pod. If merchandise and shirts are your thing, you can go to threadless.leftoftheprojectorpod.com and check those out there. Now sit back and get ready for some movie discussions with a little bit of Marxism. All right, we are here to finish off the trilogy of episodes on The Lord of the Rings and back for the third and final part of this trilogy of episodes is uh, Hungry Rye. Thanks again for coming on. Yay, we did it. We did it. It, it took, we it. well, it didn't take as long as Frodo's journey. He took a year. This only took hmm, six months. So we we did we did it better Hi. than Frodo. We we didn't we, we didn't even have the golem to uh, to assist us. And it's kind of amazing to me how much of this movie this has the most extended minutes of any of the films. It's kind of crazy how much they decided that they weren't going to reveal in the original theatrical release. Right? It's nearly what like double what the original length was. Like it's already a long movie, but they make it. It's like four hours and 20 minutes almost, I think, to the dot for the extended edition. And I think the one that was in theaters was like two hours. They usually tap it out about two hours. Maybe as a summation of some of the scenes that even with all of the amount of additional content that the extended edition gave, there were a couple scenes that were not included from the book to the movie. And I think the only one that I think is worth really discussing at some point in this episode is the scouring of the Shire, which for very good reasons, as Peter Jackson said, they didn't want it to describe the destruction of the Shire because it's an unfortunate ending. <laughs> yes. It would be a little depressing to have him spend a year. I think Peter Jackson said like, how could you have him succeed in this task, come home and then his like house is just destroyed or his whole. <laughs> his poor little hobbit house even though he sold it technically he sold it in the books yes well and, and the thing too and bef- not to belabor the like uh the point of the shire being destroyed but one thing that i think i want to mention later that's interesting is that they rebuild the shire after like in the book they just you know following the events of the book they rebuild the shire there's no longer sort of bilbo baggins and sort of his being kind of wealthier than the rest of the town. And Sam actually uses the gold, uh, the dust from Gladriel to plant in the, like the center of the town. And I feel like it's like the, that would have been a, I wish they had woven that in because I think it shows that the hobbits still value like the collective need of the people in their little communist. Yeah. You kind of get 
back to like where they're getting back into town after visiting Rivendale and there's like more sheriffs and there's all these laws and rules and stuff. And that's not what it was before. They kind of just ate when they were hungry and they worked and they got to reap, you know, the fruits of their labor. And now it's all being extracted and being sent off to Sharky. <laughs> it's like really just Saruman or the other men that are taking it all. So they, they're starving. They don't even have like their pipe weed. Heaven forbid. That's like the, you know, that's like the, their, that's, that's more important, almost more important than food to the hobbits. It really is. To those who haven't listened to the original two episodes on the first two movies, one of the initial concepts that we discussed, I think in the very first one is that the ring has the meaning or could have the meaning of it being kind of like the destruction of fascism with the destruction of Sauron and Saruman and the like. Do, do you think, do you still, do you still feel that that's fair? And I, and again, and then after you share, I'll, I'll give my new sort of a new take. I think it can go either way. Like I think ultimately it can lead into at least it being like the highest phase of capitalism which i mean you can't have fascism without capitalism but i digress i think that's what tolkien was leaning into but i can definitely see it just being like an overwhelming like just capitalist ideology yeah i mean i think i think at the time we originally did the first episode i've i've read and read more about tolkien and more of the books and i think in some articles about you know, I, I wish there was more books about like Marxist Tolkien stuff because I, I would buy and read that. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's it is the symbol of capitalism, and I don't think that Tolkien meant it this way. But Marx obviously has stated that to get to communism, you have to unfortunately suffer through capitalism, and so you could say that the destroying of the Ring was like the destruction of that phase. It reaches the new fourth age, which the age of men, the age of whatever. <laughs> we can just ignore like the whole like utopian feudal society. It, we'll just we don't need to get into that. That's too much. <laughs> well, that's that's like that's the that's the that's the problem. Like the the first, like one of the first questions I was going to say or ask is or, or bring up is that they've destroyed capitalism, fascism, whatever you want to assign to the ring. But is there is the system that's now in place within their thing? It's you have to kind of separate the two, right? Like you can't because yeah, you're right. Now we just have a feudal. You know, within like a fantasy world, like yeah, sure, it could work. Anything can work. But I mean, ultimately, like if we're being like materialist, like using like dialectics, it wouldn't like having that like class dynamic. And even though like Aragorn is objectively better than any other like Gondorian king that had come before him because he was like, he's kind of like a working class hero in the beginning. Yeah, he gets to live under not- like Elrond before. And he kind of just was one of the, what the men of the North where he kind of just did, he worked on the ground. He like knew the people. He actually knew the people that he was around. So, I mean, he's better than the steward. Yeah, and he feel oh gosh, I mean, <laughs> I do want to talk about him because I I don't I didn't remember how great the portrayal is of him in the in the movie. Like I love that actor, but yeah, Aragon does feel he feels more honorable. Like he actually has honor. Where I feel like even the other kings don't see or other leaders don't really feel that same connection to the people. Like he lived among the proletariat, the uh, the fellowship. 
They really did. And like even like the people of Gondor, like at the end of the battle of like the Pelennor Fields, like he's going around, he's helping, he's in the house of healing, he's doing everything he can, like giving people direction, but he's he's doing it. And he was in the battle too. It wasn't like he was just sitting up eating a feast like the steward like Denethor. He he was doing what everybody else was doing. It wasn't there was no difference. They weren't trying to like protect him or anything. Yeah, Denethor is, you know, other than like Sauron and Saruman and maybe some of the orcs, he's like the the worst character in, you know. He's almost more despicable than Saruman. Why do you say that? Or like warped up. I don't know. There's just something about him like intentionally sending his only son left, like Faramir, and then like a bunch of his men just to go die to like retrieve this front. Go do this. But really, he just wants him dead because he's mad. And then, he wants, and then he's going to burn him. <laughs> yeah, and then he was going to burn him because he looks into the Palantir, like you don't see that in the movie, and he's just like, damn, mortars, they got a lot of people. We ain't going to make it. I might catch myself on fire. It, Which, it's almost, <laughs> he's like the, he's like a revisionist, or I don't know. It's like the definition of like reactionary suicide almost, like where yeah. he's just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to die for the people. And like while his son is being killed, uh, he's just eating. Yes. Like he's it's dripping he's down like, like the berries are dripping down his face it's such a like they do the flash back and forth between like the you know his son being in battle and going forward yeah and i feel like the, the i think i feel like faramir i think we maybe discussed this in the last movie or episode faramir does not get a fair shake in the movies he doesn't not really get his his due credit i think there's a couple scenes they added in the extended but he is cast off as this oh you're not boromir so you suck yep he's like the what do they call it like the royal you need like the second one is just like the backup like they're always just there just in case the first one does die like oh at least you have an heir like he's just there as a placeholder yeah and it turns out that boromir didn't really have as much honor as you know I mean, I think it's a little, might be slightly different in the book, but he's corrupted by the ring and wants it for himself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess you could say that many of the characters feel that pull by the ring. It's not only Boromir, to be fair. But And we don't even know if Boromir, when he got to, like, Gondor, if he would have sent Frodo straight to his father or, unlike Faramir, Faramir let him go. He let him and Schmeagol go, which would, I think that was, like, the big difference, the turning point right there is, like, he did not give into the ring and he let it go even though he knew how much it meant to his father yeah i mean he he i mean you could say he saved middle earth as much as you know if he if he had had the if denethir had had the ring i mean the i mean he probably would have worked with sauron oh 100 percent. i mean i think that that's what that's why and it's funny you said uh revisionist suicide it's like he is the complete opposite of huey newton yeah, yeah. The revolution, the revolutionaries. <laughs> I, that was like what I thought about. I was like, man, because Huey makes note of like this quote from Mao, where he's like, I think Mao in the quotations of Mao says, "All men must die, but death can vary in its significance. To die for the people is uh, weightier than Mount Tai, but to work for the fascist and for the exploiters and oppressors is light as a as uh, a feather." So like, it, you can tell like even between like if you compare him to like King Theoden. Like his death was much more like important and like influential than like Denethor. Like I don't care if that man died. I'm like oh, oops, he caught himself yeah, on fire. Yeah, you're, you're like you're like hoping he dies. You know, it's 
He doesn't. He didn't even. He he got the death he deserved. I think too is, you know, in some sense, it's like as he should. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. Uh, so I know we were talking about the like the uh, um, the capitalist aspect of the ring and whatever it is. And briefly, I think we were talking about the you know what comes after. And of course, we want to hope that Aragorn can lead. You know, this peaceful fourth age of, you know, um, prosperity that's not on the backs of, you know, working class feudal peasants or, you know. Um, but one thing I, I was thinking about this in the movie is they don't there's never really any class antagonism. I feel like in the entire trilogy, and I think the only one I could think of, and I got this from an article, which makes sense, is Sam and Frodo being his gardener, yeah. calling him Mr. Frodo. There's no other class. I mean, you could say Aragorn was kind of cast off and maybe a man of the people, but do you think that's that true? That was really strange. I don't know why. I, and I could be because there's so many different like races of beings that like adding another layer to that would have been like way too much for them to focus on. But like you don't really see people in poverty at all. No, never. <laughs> and it's very strange. So, I don't know. And they don't even really in the movies focus on Sam being, like, underneath Frodo. No, they don't. It's kind of meant... He's kind of serving him, but it seems like it's his choice in some sense, where he feels like this... But really, like, he... Doesn't he live in, like, uh, what's it called? Something shot row? Like, it's not a nice neighborhood. No. Of, of Hobbington. Like, it's no. not of the Shire at all. And I was actually thinking about this in the Ring of Power, the series. I think that's the only, I mean, that's the only other Lord of the Rings variation other than The Hobbit, where they do show like a town that's kind of impoverished, you know, like a farming town. So I don't know what to make of it. Maybe you're right. Maybe they had too many races and making a class structure. Or maybe Tolkien just didn't like class. Tolkien didn't like class structure. He didn't believe that there was any materially anything wrong with that. I think with him, like, overlooking it, because, like, his intention of making, like, Lord of the Rings and, like, the Silmarillion, because, like, the Silmarillion and all of that jazz was supposed to come out first, but nobody would pick it up because it's, like, a Bible, like, publishers and whatnot. Um, But he was trying to make, like, a pseudo-history for England. Like, that's what he was doing, like, a, a mythology for England. So I think, I don't know, in that way, like, I don't know, like, compared to, like, like the Nordic countries where they have like all of this really interesting like mythology, like England didn't have that. So he's reaching for like to make it magical and didn't yeah. focus enough on it, which I think give it time. It probably, he would have. It's, it's fair. I, I think, I think that's fair. I mean, you could give cut him a little, a little slack. I mean, the, the thing I was discussing the, uh, the first episode with someone who hadn't, listen to it and I was talking to him and he was he has uh, another podcast the intervention podcast and they did an episode on Tolkien's politics but I didn't want to watch it or listen to it before this I was like I want to stay clear mind of of this but he was we were talking and he he was saying that the Shire I think we discussed this in one of the others that the Shire was kind of symbolizing sort of what like the pre-industrialized gentrified you know london that he missed and so he 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 did want to that's what he wanted to come home to after his journey i mean i think that's not lost on i I think that was intent 
Yeah, that's why, like, they're smaller, because, like, when he was a child, like, he was orphaned. Like, all of his, like, his parents, his family died, and then he ended up going off to an orphanage. So he has these really fond memories of living in, like, the not greatest part of England. But when you're a kid, even if you're living in poverty, like, you can still make it magical and fun. doesn't matter where you're at, you know. You kind of have to make the best of what you have when you're a child to, like, get through it. So I can right. get why it is the way it is. Like being able to eat whenever you want or like grow whatever you want. Being able Having to explore seven meals. the Yeah, seven meals. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they had lots of potatoes there too, as, uh, <laughs> as England would. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I saw something that said he lived in part-time in Birmingham, which I think was a super kind of working-class town in, in the United Kingdom. So, again, that makes perfect sense. Um, but then, so I want to go back with one other thing. So, the thing with the classes, I, I saw this in another article about the movies in general. And tell me what you think of this theory. It's that the – I know we kind of jumped around a little bit, but the fourth age – where we've now eliminated capitalism. We're on our path to communism. Of course, you have to make a little pit stop in feudalist Aragorn uh, realm of, you know, the, the age of men. But like under Marx's idea of reaching, you know, communism, you have eliminated class structures. So one, is it possible that there's no, obviously this is not intended, intended by Tolkien, but the fact that there are no class structures really shown in that, you know, some of the lore after, and also the fact that Gimli gets taken across, you know, I think uh, uh, doesn't Legolas build a, a boat and bring Gimli to the Undying Land, so. Yeah, they all, almost all of them end up going to the Undying Lands. Like, Stam goes to the Undying Lands, or Amon, um, Bilbo, Frodo, Gandalf, and then Gimli and Legolas. But, but I think Thank Gimli you. was the only was the first ever dwarf to do it, and so the theory yeah. in this book was this article was like, well, they've now transcended class, uh, race because everyone is kind of equal in some sense. Of course, it's not exactly the case because I feel like there's they weren't just letting anyone into the Undying Lands. But I don't know, maybe that's a stretch. It could be. I mean, it's like how people say that like heaven is is or Jesus was a communist, like heaven is communism like that's what like christians strive for and essentially like with his background it would make sense like with them transcending and going to the undying lands like there's no need for there to be like these hierarchies they don't really exist in tolkien's theory as much like they're different like power levels like we're doing power scaling yeah sure but they all live amongst each other from what i've understood the end goal would be everyone is kind of equal under the Lord or whatever you want to say <laughs> in his, in his mind, under, yeah, in his, uh, in his sense. Um, yeah, the, the, um, I think I asked you this before when we were talking, uh, briefly is with the ring destroyed and Aragorn is kind of in power. Like, is there no more evil? Like in the, quotation marks because of course there's going to be bad people and vi you know there's still violence but like how do you against fantasy there's no everything is cool we want to go back to like the lore of it like the destruction of the ring was so important because it meant that sauron could never ever again take physical form which is why it needed to it, it needed to get nipped in the butt 
because they already had experience in like the first age or like before the first age ended with the death of like Melkor and Morgoth like they knew how destructive like they're intrinsically evil beings because they're supposed to like represent Satan you know <laughs> but um I, I mean in that sense yeah like evil would dissipate I don't know though like when it comes to like I think class dynamic would probably be the next thing to be focused on yeah that's the only thing I can think of like why not because then they wouldn't be focused on like this greater evil now they can actually focus on themselves and you know yeah having a revolution against Aragorn I guess well I mean that's the that's the thing that you kind of look at with a feudal society as long as you know the people at the they're still at bottom are fed and happy you know, if if he can actually provide for them, presumably they won't need to revolt and create. We need uh, to pull out like uh, angles on authority <laughs> yes. to see whether that's a just or unjust authority. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that he doesn't see. He doesn't. There is like a line of kings, of course. He's the 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 heir to the throne, but I, I don't remember. Do they? Is like the is the is like the is there like a considered like a divine right of kings within like the story from the previous ages? Yeah, it's like a like the it's like pretty traditional, I think, with like it goes down like the family line. So yeah. he's of Isildur's, you know, family tree. So it would be him that would be next. Plus he's like I think he's Numenorian. Because then there's that whole so. other way. There's so much to it. But I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Like, it's his rights. The only reason I was thinking of that is because if the people below in this sort of class structure are view him as this vessel of, you know, from God or as this, whatever you want to say, as like the divine right of kings, it would eventually lead to them presumably finding some reason to dislike or distrust or not being taken care of and again that's the thing that's sort of left out of all of his this trilogy is just that class structure as we've already said I, it's almost like a good thing in a sense because then it gives us a lot of wiggle room where we can apply like some really like stretched allegories and whatever we want to it it's not too concrete but it does it at the same time it makes it hard because i just don't know it sucks i just don't know and i wish I wish there was more on it. What was I just going to... I had a quote that I thought was interesting, but now I didn't like write down... Ex I know it's around the time that we meet Denethar, and he was saying... I think it might be that Gandalf says it, that he says that wisdom is born out of the West. Wisdom born out of the West was forsaken. The king made tombs more splendid than the house of the living. No, I think it was Denethor was telling this to one of the hobbits. It might have been Pippin. Was it Pippin when he's sitting there eating his chicken watching hitler like the i don't remember i'd have to look up this exact quote but it basically it's the idea that they i think that's darathor maybe it was uh, sorry Den i don't know why i said darathor i just combined <laughs> it in. but denethor basically decided to make things i think i wrote this quote down because he's saying that they started to make tombs that were more splendid than the houses of the living and so the, the children of Lord sat in these huge halls. So they were describing in some sense that the leaders in this in Gondor were actually forsaking their people 
instead of and having elaborate shit they didn't need. I think it makes sense because once, um, what was it? Was it Valinor when they pulled the Vala pulled Valinor out of the sea, and that's where like all like the Numenorians and stuff were residing, and then they ended up turning away from the Vala, and instead of having these really long lives where they could like just enjoy being alive, they reduced their lifespan over time, and then they started focusing more on wealth and luxury. So it would right. make sense why yeah. that is because they're not living these long lavish lifestyles so they like filled the void with pretty things yeah so it was, it was gandalf saying it to pippin i think it's when he's they're riding up to the top to see um the denethor at some point like between when they first meet him and maybe it's when he's about to burn his son or something like that and he's lament i mean gandalf is this interesting character which I also wanted to talk about is he goes off because he's feeling it's like he's no longer needed. He's like, we've, we've succeeded in the task that I was brought to middle earth for, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago. So you kind of feel, kind of feel happy for Gandalf. He's like, he can finally rest. <laughs> yeah. Poor he just guy. had a battle of Balrog and like transcend time and live a thousand lifetimes. He's like, yeah, I'm done now. He was like giving up on um, Frodo. Like he thought he was done for. And I think Aragorn is like the one person through all of the movies that I feel like has the most faith in him because he lets him leave in the first film and the, you know, the first go off on his own. Aragorn, I think, deserves his. I think I've said a bunch of different random things together. But like, Gandalf deserves his time off. He gets his, he gets him on vacation. And Aragorn deservingly deserves praise for his faith in like humanity. Like he's the only one that seems to have faith in men. He, yeah. At the end of the day, he is the only one that thinks that like they can actually like do this thing, which is why I think after they have the battle on the Pelennor fields and they're like going to go on the suicide mission, he's like, no, we got to, we got to buy Frodo time. We got to draw those, all of the orcs out so that they can like pass through the valley. And I think in the, yeah, it was him, right? In the movie. Yeah. That he says that, I don't know if that was yeah, extended. His, he has the big speech. He has the big speech. That scene is not in the. That scene is longer in the extended edition. Like they don't have the mouth of Sauron come out, which mm-hmm. is such a shame because that's such a funny. Like I can't help but laugh at that little <laughs> mouth. The mouth, <laughs> it's, um, very uh, his little like smirk. But yeah, I think they needed that scene in the original too. I think it was a shame that. It had to be shortened, but you're right. He, he was willing to give his life, even if he died, and the and the and the uh, the the line of Isildur ended. So long as the ring was destroyed, it was worth it. I mean, that's, they all were yeah. giving their lives, you know. Yeah, like it was all of all of the boys. It was like Aormer was there, Pippin was there, like all of these really important people. Like Gandalf was ready. He was just like, well, hey, we can get it done. And there was it. it Gimli says something. It was like small chance of success. I'm in. Like he knew it was <laughs> oh, just a goober. <laughs> he always has the little uh the funny. I think that that was also not in the original edition either. That was an extended edition. I think I saw something that said that they added some like little lighthearted humor in a scene of where they're literally about to give their lives to the cause. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I wrote I wrote this little note down, which I think is kind of random. But so after Sauron 
is destroyed. The ring goes in and it melts and we start seeing the tower comes down and the volcano erupts. I was thinking that the volcano erupting kind of destroying what's below was like a metaphor for like Noah's Ark, but that could be a stretch. Because I don't know, because they're like sitting on the they're sitting on the rock waiting for the birds to come in. I don't know. I kind of is like I can see where you're going. I saw that in your notes, and I was like, "What does this mean?" <laughs> but well, I see it. I see what you mean. I mean, I guess it doesn't really destroy all of Earth. It just destroys Mordor, so it's not really. But I guess eventually mm-hmm. you could. Don't I mean? Don't they say? I think in that like the rocks and ash from vol- from volcanoes is like the most fertile soil. So, like in the fourth age, fifth age, someone will move back to Mordor and yeah, build I mean, there were people there before, and then right, like the first and second age, maybe I don't know if it was the second. I think so. It was like after the first age, like second age. Okay. I think. I mean, it was a fertile land. It wasn't oh, like okay. it was this. It just mm-hmm. became his. Uh, his. I don't. I don't really know the exact history of. It's kind of like how Saruman like leached the ground of all its life and so I think presumably like he, and presumably he would choose the place that's super fertile you know below a volcano so i guess that makes makes sense i don't know i don't yeah. know what they knew about volcanic ash when tolkien wrote this i guess they knew about that um, i think it has to do with like mountain doom because he could forge rings in it like right some less magical property to it i'm sure i can't i can't validate that but it seems no. right yeah no, that makes sense. And it's as, 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 so I, I wrote this in my notes too about the rings. So we obviously had, there were 20 rings and it was given to each of the different, you know, races, men, elves, uh, and so on had their, their rings. It seemed like at that time that did create more of a class structure than when there was like the one ring. I don't know. Does that make, I guess that there's, that there was more. Like the the bourgeoisie of the different, you know, the haves or the have-nots, like all the different races had a hierarchy. But once there was only one ring left, it was like that's became like the fascist capitalist symbol of all of them. Yeah, pretty much. Like the three Elven rings, I mean, they kind of exist a little bit outside of it because they made sure not to put theirs on like the one that like Galadriel Gandalf and Elrond have, but I think it was Celebrimbor who had two of the rings, and it was Galadriel that had one. Um, so they like, didn't put theirs on. They didn't participate in that because they knew something was was up with it. The elves are smart. <laughs> they they were very. They had a lot. Well, Elrond had like the gift of like foresight. A lot of them did. So they kind of like they knew something was going on. But like with the men, I think it gave them longer lives and more prosperity. And like the same thing happened with like the dwarves. Like they didn't become so infatuated with power as they did with like they used it to get like minerals and like gold and whatnot and then it attracted the dragons and that ended up being their demise so it was still greed but it wasn't power greed it was just like yeah yeah it's funny you mentioned greed because this article that i read that i'll put in the show notes was called greedy like Gollum, middle earth according to marx that's what they were kind of that's what the article kind of surmised summary was that the greed of the rings created sort of the ultimate ring at the end because eventually all of the powers, all the parties, you know, if you want to use like a modern democratic type institution, eventually those, you know, those parties are going to side and, and move towards capital, 
the highest stage of, you know, a fascist dictator or whatever uh, like you want to call ring, it. Like monopolizing on all of the other rings. Right, right. So I guess, you know, thinking of the rings as symbolizing sort of the different groups or factions or whatever it is, and they all became one because it was the most powerful, but, you know, the one ring to rule them all as the tagline. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's just, maybe that's all just, of the bureaucrats. Yeah, I mean, in the in as if Sauron really, you know, he cared about the. Uh, he wasn't one for bureaucracy. He just, you know, sent his orcs out to to do his. Yeah, bidding. he wanted to just usurp all of the land so he could have power over it, and that's like a common misbelief. It's that people think that Sauron was just going to like decimate the land, but he really just wanted to rule over it all in his way. But he right. the only one to do it. But he would be willing to destroy some people who opposed him, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah, you know, if a few people, you know, what is it the, like that, the movie, like if some people may die, but that's just a risk he has to take or whatever. The, oh, I, uh, I think that's Shrek. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like some people may die. <laughs> Sauron is the king and but the, that's the king from. I am willing to make. Some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice. I am willing to make. That's. I think that's actually. I don't think I knew that until more recently. I. I, I sort of. I think there's like that. I think it's just the idea of like in most people's heads of like the evil person. Think of like Hitler that just wants to destroy everything, but really they just want absolute power over. Yeah, everyone. that's like another thing you can think about. It's like different, like. Uh like white supremacist ideologies like they're not looking to like decimate the population they, they're looking to subject like subjugate people Eugenics. under their power yeah pretty much <laughs> pretty much i mean that's what i mean sauron also was like breeding you know men and orcs to create these like a super race i mean he was basically doing some eugenics i don't think i think yeah, we talked about he that. was he changed like all he captured elves and like changed them into darker beings because he couldn't make elves. So it's like right. Is that the they don't really again, I don't want to talk much about the the rings of power, but the the elf that sort of works for Sauron in that, is that what it's meant to be? Like a, a hybrid the elf? Urukai? Yeah. I I think so. I think he's one of the experimentations. But yeah, like what Sauron does and like I think it was originally maybe Melkor that started it. Lucas is trying to come in here. Oh, Thank no. you. <laughs> um, but like the trolls were supposed to be like the opposite of the ants, and like the orcs were supposed to be the opposite of like the elves. And then there's like the goblins, even though they don't really talk about goblins that much in like the main trilogy. It's more so like the Hobbit. But you know, it's supposed to be like the antithesis or whatever. Yeah, no, those. I see what you're saying. Like the like the the uh the yin and yang of each of them like this is the one mm -hmm. that will destroy the not destroy i guess but to um creating his evil version of each of those things yeah i mean that's i mean all of the i mean i think sadly of obviously the u.s is not uh innocent in these kind of experiments but i mean look at all the things that we do mk ultra and the nazis and all the things they did to create Master, I mean, it was that was their idea. I mean, not master race. Well, it's like even if we didn't like genetically alter like human beings, like how we combat terrorists is with like our global police. It's not right. that far fetched. And even though like we have what some two hundred bases 
uh, spread across maybe even more across the, the world i think it's like like i think it's like 500 plus which is insane yeah it's wild <laughs> we don't even need to genetically modify anyone we just like we got to go find our freedom in x country yeah that's true we, it's well i guess the 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 modification is simply your your mind through you know it's just propaganda. perception yeah yeah that's scary that's beyond perhaps beyond the um <laughs> the uh the lore of the lord of the rings uh <laughs> didn't mean to take it that far you no, know that, so they're just gonna send it that's fair I think the only other like big note that I wrote in sort of my questions, I think we already kind of talked about it of, you know, the rebuilding of the Shire. I think I mentioned at the beginning of it is, you know, the, the idea of rebuilding the Shire in the, in the book, obviously not in the movie. They did it out of a desire to still live under the same type of society. They, they could have just. They probably Aragorn probably would have welcomed the the hobbits into the rest of you know Gondor if if their home was destroyed. But they believed in their way of life, and I think it's what you would say you know to people who say like oh under communism no one will want to like be do these like medial jobs. It's like well actually they will because they live in a society that everything needs to be done for the collective will, and I think that's what the hobbits represent. They do. And I think you see it a lot with like um, Sam planting the tree that he got from Galadriel right next to the party tree that had gotten cut down to like yep. rebirth it and start anew. Like that was a really powerful imagery in the book. And it's in like this, the, I don't know if is there, I don't know if there's a name for that part of the Shire, but it's like the communal garden or is it? A, it's where, I don't yeah. Know. It's like the party tree. Like they all just like, it's a big field, I think, where they just, they do things. They host events. Yeah, nobody owns it, but they just it's for vibes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they. Well, I mean, it, it's also you mentioned how Frodo sold, you know, his home when he leaves, which they don't. Uh, that whole like the beginning of the very first book is much longer than they cared to include in the in the movie for value, valid reason. But it's interesting. This will be interesting in my mind. I don't. I don't think there is any again because Tolkien decided to ignore, you know, property rights and class structures but how the hobbits would organize like do they really they have their homes they have their own toothbrush but they share everything else amongst you know the people because yeah for the most part like i think when it comes to like money and value i mean the only reason that bilbo had so much was like his house was really nice because his family like they were like architectures or architects and then he got all of the gold and whatnot from the dwarves when he went off to defeat smaug right so and like gold in like marxist term is like when you're all that human labor that it takes to extract this fine resource that's why it's so valuable so money isn't like our paper currency to them so it actually does hold like physical labor value too many right I think. they don't really say what happens to all of the fortune do they like all of i guess because bilbo gives all of his fortune and possessions mostly to frodo and it just kind of it, it should be used as the collective i guess in the book it's all destroyed or stolen by saruman or do we know i'm trying to remember like i know he leaves frodo with a lot but then he takes 
some of it when like the dwarves come to help him move him to like Rivendale after his birthday party. I guess he does but, need some because he lives a lavish lifestyle. But he also he spent a lot of it so he could buy like everybody in the Shire presents for his birthday. That's right. Well, that's the whole thing. In the Shire, they give presents to the people who come to your birthday, right? And he yeah. had such a big party, he had to give everyone a present. And he's like catering it and all of that. So I'm sure that like was a big dent. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I have like I looking at my notes as I was watching the movie, which are different than like my sort of question notes. And some of the things are so funny. Like I wrote, when does Frodo like how did Frodo think that like one casket of water was going to make it like two and back? Because like they're drinking from the water and like, oh, how are we? We're not going to have enough to to make it back because like he's like he's drinking the last little drop, like the driplets from Sam's mm-hmm. bag. I'm like. Was it like a magic casket? Was there like uh, did the water multiply? Because like it, it doesn't make sense in the movies. But like when you're reading through the book, like Sam is like on the hunt for water. He's like, if it's true. a muddy puddle, I'm going to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> he does that, not care. He's like, we're going to make it. And then towards the end, there's like, I don't know, four days left. And there's no more water. So he's just like, we ain't making it back. I'm sorry, boys. Like, yeah. Well, they, I mean, they show them like pretty disheveled like their lips are all chapped and gross when they're making the final climb up the hill oh i know it's all it, was, it made me really uncomfortable like in, in like horror movies like the uh, physical gore is always more gross to me than actual like violets i don't know why they turned into like the dehydrated spongebob meme <laughs> <laughs> exactly 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 uh oh i know what i was going to mention and then I, I see if you have other things to um to bring up but at the very end of the movie or i guess not the very end of the, movie, the end of the the ring when frodo is is fighting with with smeagol is it fair to say that frodo only <laughs> succeeds by accident in his like little fight he bites off his finger and they're kind of fighting and he's actually going to leave like he can't do it he can't physically drop the ring in is it so powerful that no one can destroy it if not by accident. I see that it could either be like by accident because in the in the movie, like it's a very much like it seems like an accident. And then even in the book, like, oh, Smeagol's like dancing around and he's just like right. slips over the edge. Right. In or the movie, they make him like, push him. Like divine fate where it was just meant to be that way the whole time. I yeah. don't know, though, because like you can tell like the ring it almost is like Sauron's um, like will is going into like panic mode. And he's like, I got to pull out all the stops right this second. I can't be destroyed. Right. Like his it's... will, he's willing and he knows what's going on. And you can see in the movie when like the searchlight. <laughs> yeah. like the, I think it's funny how, I mean, they had to visually make it seem cool, but I think in the, in the books, it's not like the same eye kind of thing. It's more of a, it's just like symbolism <laughs> like right. they, they have the eye on like their clothes but in this was like giant flaming eye which is funny so i i think right before we started recording there's this quote from tolkien when they're asked him about allegory and he says quote i cor- cordially dislike allegory in all its manifestations and i've always done so referring to the ring but it's funny that they have that quote being like you can't compare my i'm not doing any of this allegory stuff but peter jackson's like you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make a little allegory of Sauron to this little like <laughs> searchlight, <laughs> like a. I know, and you almost like it makes sense. Like, kind of like I get why he did it, but at the same time, it's so silly. 
Because it's like a cat eye, and then it like squinches and it gets bigger. Yeah, and it like literally like it can turn on like when they're climbing, and you know Sam tells him to like drop down because it's it's. You'd think that if he had such a presence for the ring, he would know where it was. He wouldn't need to like use his little light to look for it, right? Right. Especially it's in his domain. It's in where he's at. He has to know. He's also stupid for not leaving a few orcs behind when they all went out for the final battle. Like, he's he didn't like leave so a couple? up his own ass with like power. And he's just like, no, nah, I'm just going to nip it in the butt. Like he can't see past like his own greed. It blinds him to the fact that it could be a diversion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I think, he, right. Well, I think the fact that Aragorn shows himself to him, he's so, he, he has to destroy the one person. I think it's almost, even if Frodo fails, Aragorn could take up the mantle and find the ring and destroy it himself, perhaps. Yeah, if it didn't reunite with Sauron. Even, yeah. I don't know. It would take him a while to, like, because there's, like, fan theories on, like, what happened if, like, Sauron did, in fact, get the ring. And, like, he wouldn't be, like, full power. Like, he'd be really strong, but it would take a while for him to, like, get back up. Well, who, how would it be even, how would he obtain it? In I guess in the movie it will be again it's a it, so I think one of the theories is that like if Schmeagol like didn't do anything you can kind of see it in the I think it's in the movie like the Nazgul are all flying back and racing back to Mount yes. Doom as soon as they yes. know that that's happening so the Nazgul would get the ring and then deliver it to Sauron and then he would become one and then like his body would be, like, like, be rebuilt? I guess. Like the body like, of Christ or something? Maybe they like chuck it at the... I have no idea how he become whole again. But, he, puts, he puts it inside the little eye and it like maybe. spouts arms. I don't know. But theoretically, that, that's <laughs> right. what could have happened. Yes. Tolkien did not give us... Uh, he, he did not um, consider the possibility of Frodo failing. Thank goodness. He had a lot of hope in Frodo as like an author. Although I feel like if I was writing that and I like built up this really strong character, I don't know if I would have hope at that point. It just seems like I'm so impossible. Yeah, I mean I mean throughout the both The Hobbit and this, I mean, the Hobbits, despite being physically small, like do the most some of the most heroic things, I think is kind of like the point of both the, the trilogy and the you know the hobbit i think that's why they like show so much of schmeagle and deagle at the beginning of uh the this movie like return of the king is you can see that like the hobbits are just really strong and they're really resilient against the ring's power because even though like schmeagle like killed deagle he just went off into the mountains they didn't do anything he didn't try to like take power over people no he just wanted the shiny thing for himself, not knowing really what he had, which I think is, mm-hmm. yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But is could Smeagol have conceivably like create like be been powerful? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think hobbits are capable of it because like even Bilbo had it for like what like fifty years, and it didn't really do a whole lot to him. It just like made him live longer. Like he didn't really know what he had. He just thought like- it was a fun party trick. It's like you needed evil in your heart or like the will to be to have like dominion over someone like, you know, uh, because they lived in like their little like aggro 
commune communal society they were able to exist outside of like the greed of like men yeah denethar if he had it he would have built his own army and great strength and power but yeah that's, a, that's like haha i disappeared like but right, right. Fundamental is that the only time he supposedly puts on the ring i wonder no he must have put it on well, he put it on when he was trying to get away from schmeagol oh right, right in the hobbit and then he puts it on a couple of times and he does it like mary knew about it pippin knew about it i think like the ring they'd seen him do it like he'd get bored and just like put it on yeah what was i the guess other... but he was also probably speaking to him but were there any like notes or things from the you know just from the movie itself or the the this that you've that you noted that are worth uh that you wanted to bring up okay i will say i know a lot of people are like oh they'll be like it's the lord of the rings um but it's only like the moments where like women are talking and it's like a <laughs> two second clip <laughs> but like meanwhile tolkien made erwin like the most goaded character like the shield maiden erwin where she yeah. like kills the witch king she's the only one to kill an oswald she really like gaslight gatekeep girl bossed her way through that pretended she was a man joan of arc did but that was it that was like the only <laughs> so the movie fails the bechdel test in in with high it doesn't even have uh like there really no she's like her there's only really three female characters in the entire trilogy galadriel erwin mm -hmm. and um arwen arwen that's it pretty much like, that's I'm happy they at least made them very strong characters. Like, I wish Arwen would have had more. Because she is strong. She's like a child of Elrond. Like, she, she very much has power. Yeah. But they didn't really do it. And, like, Galadriel. She's oh, too powerful. Oh, Galadriel one... and is, like, one of the only people that could actually wield the ring. Well, yes. Good. Yes. She, she, and I really like her, like, opening arc in the prequel show. Like, I think they really make a make her a very strong character even if she isn't always the perfect judge of of character if no spoilers to that show if you haven't seen it well so i can also write oh i think i sent you that little my my uh comparison to the um the dim hole under the mountain to the sarah mass uh um a court of thorn and roses like the under the mountain is both like a the, the that sort of little imagery is used in both of these there's so much there's so much i'm pretty sure she was a tolkien fan there's no way i feel like there's too many overlapping themes and i'll have to get into it off of this because there's <laughs> I, well, I haven't finished i haven't finished the whole thing but I've, I'm, I'm almost <sighs> done with the second yeah I'm, i've been reading other books and i've only through almost two so it's just like interesting how like fantasy like authors of fantasy like use it as like a tool or like a, a device to like make sense of like the material reality that you live in i'm sure someone's written articles there's probably like a reddit subreddit about like comparisons between the trilogy and other like fantasy series there's gotta be i'm i'm convinced though there's some like what are those the spider web graphs of like things connecting again i don't give me a year i'll find well, it i'll make it yeah, well, it's well. They're gonna. I'm excited to see that the series they have eventually for that uh, that book. It better be good. It yeah. Be good. 
I mean, I don't, I don't, is it, I don't remember if it's Amazon or Netflix, but it's Amazon Hulu. is, oh, is it Hulu? Oh, that's, that gives me a little bit of pause. <laughs> well, I don't know. What do I know? Well, they were saying that um, it's being held up because she was being too difficult. I was like, what does that mean? It's her, it's her material. Like, does she not have the right to like make as she wants? Do we think Tolkien would approve of his movies? I saw something about like a not like deeply in theory about this, but how like someone who is super ingrained in all of his work, what they would think. I would say he'd like it. I think Peter Jackson did them pretty. If you include the extended editions, I think it's. Yeah, I, I give it like an A minus in comparison to the books. I agree. I think they're really good. I know some people don't like it at all. I don't know why. <laughs> There's people who There's are always like haters. And they just- They're always haters. <laughs> I mean, they. I mean, all of the acting is really good. All of the, like, considering when they made these in the early 2000s, it's like pretty. There isn't that much special effects. It's like good practical effects and fun. Yeah. If you don't like these movies, but you love Tolkien, I feel bad for you. Right. I don't know. It's like, what else do you have to go off of the animated version? Like, that's not. <laughs> no, that and that's that's not even all of the books, right? It's it's not the whole. I think it's just the Hobbit, isn't it? Or is it the whole Lord? Of the no, Rings? I think you're right. I think it's just the Hobbit. They never did the Lord of the Rings. Peter Jackson came in and and did a whole thing. Um, I don't think I have any more notes in my. I feel like I wrote way more than I did. Um, I just wrote a bunch of random lore. Like I got pages of lore. Like if we're going to talk about the tree and Gondor, I got it. And we got all of this other stuff. I, but I didn't know how like well, no, I mean, I th- to yeah. Marxist ideology. <laughs> it's just. Well, well, no, but what's the what's the lore of the tree? In Gondor? It, well, let me pull it out because I wrote it down. No, we, so, we, we You see a lot of like the flowers start to like bloom as like a Lindiel or less whatever like his fancy name as Strider before yeah. he's like king as he gets closer but like the tree itself like back at the beginning there was two trees I don't know if you've ever seen the two trees of like I think it was Valinor like there was two trees of light yeah and wait not in, Numa- in, in Numenor or in Valinor I think it was in Valinor okay but there's two trees of light and I don't remember their names. One was a male and a female. And they cast like this beautiful, like there was no sun. Like the Vala had to create a sun because Melkor took Osgiliath, no, Ongoliant, which is Shelob's mother, to consume them, like the light from them. So they had to like reconcile that, create a moon and sun. But there was a seed, right? And like, I see it like it got passed down. It ended up going to like Numenor and they have a tree and you kind of see it in the rings of power. Yeah. That tree. But Sauron convinces them to cut it down because it was like a symbolic of like their unity and like appreciation for uh, the elves and like the higher beings. But he's like, nah, cut it down. You can just worship me in Melkor. And, (laughs) and then Isildur takes the seed and he brings it over to like the mainland oh and then, man that's like, awesome that all of these seeds like keep like there's a couple other trees that end up getting made but then you see it in the book 
um, they ended up at the very, very end. Gandalf takes Strider to find like this little sapling and it is the same tree. So he takes it and they get to replant it and they have like a burial for the big white tree. So it's like, I think it's called Nimroth. It's an ancestor of Nimroth, the tree. Well, trees have a lot of symbols. I mean, I think there's a lot of tree symbology, you know, again, with Sam planting the tree, the the little nut in the in the Shire, and you have the Ents, which are like a mystical tree. I feel like he really liked tree lore. I think it's really important to like the elves and like their culture and their religion, like trees are. Well, in the Ring of Power, too, you have the in the Ring of Power, you have like the tree that's starting to die. Which is the elf's power too, which I think, again, it's all, it's all like a, it all has like that interconnection within all the different parts of Middle Earth, which I think also is like what perhaps I wonder if that's why Sauron is digging underground. I mean, obviously the orcs need to be underground, but it's like he's destroying like the roots of these, of like power of like the mm-hmm. of good. I don't know. Which is like the Vala like created that life, so. It makes sense just to wipe it clean. That's pretty cool, though. I like that. Is there any of the other any 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 what's what's a, well? I want to I want to know one other what other lore did you? Uh, someone I was talking with someone today, the same person today of that intervention podcast, and they were like, I, they they appreciated the lore that was brought in the other episodes too. So I think we need to. Uh I mean, like, there's like the mouth of Sauron being like one of the Black Numenorean. I don't, I don't, I know a lot of really random things about. Oh, Lord so Billy. that's that's what the that's what his the mouth is from. I didn't know that. Yeah, but he's from the Third Age, but they, he doesn't remember his own name. But there was also like a lady who had who was like one of the king, who was a Black Numenorean who married one of the kings of Gondor, and she was like evil and she didn't like it there and she ended up having like her own castle in Osgiliath um and she had all of these cats she had all these black cats that would like spy for her and she had a white cat that would spy on the black cats and then she ended up going into exile and the last thing they saw of her was her on this boat in the ocean with her cats that's canon that is real Tolkien lore. <laughs> I can't remember what her name is yeah the, the, cra- the crazy cat lady <laughs> i know i'm like why is this in here like why is this relevant why did he feel the need to write this down i mean i guess if you're writing that much building that much of a world like you some stuff doesn't some stuff you don't want to cut but it might not <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he he didn't he didn't he, he just created one big extended edition he's like no we're not going to cut anything it's all going in i literally have like two shelves over here that are just Tolkien literature. It's crazy like how much stuff that he has. Yeah, he really I think I was looking on Goodreads earlier. I was looking at like different editions and like there's like 20 pages of like if you go to his as an author like looking through like page, page two, page three, page four. Like I didn't realize how much he had. I know some of them are like different editions. There's another one that just got published this year that Christopher was like working on like his son. I can't remember what it's called, but it's another piece of Tolkien lore. And like the Tales of Numenor also sounds really awesome because I feel like you don't get much, you don't get anything in this because that's it's destroyed at this point. So I will I will I will ask you ask you this: what's what would be your a summation of Lord of the Rings 
I, that's like, that's a very broad. I don't know that does that. What do you? Like, what do you mean? By that? Do you mean like if I were to like do a TLDR, like if somebody had never seen the movies before? No, well, or no, like, I, well, no. So I'll, I'll re, let me or, read. Like, the let me overwhelming read. theme or allegory. Yeah, I guess. What, what would you? What would you? Yeah, I guess that's more what I meant. It's like if we, we've talked about like different themes of the book and the rings and different things, but if you put it all like in a tidy little bow, that's a that's a that's a big. Uh, I think that the Lord of the Rings does a really fantastic job uh, showing why um, when you aim and work towards doing things for the collective, you have better success than when you like revert to individualism. And I think you see that a lot with like the vanguard of like the Lord of the Rings, which is like the hobbits, the main four, um, Legolas, Gimli, Aragorn, and Gandalf, like they all represent different people, and because of that, they're able to unite people of a variety of different races in Middle Earth to rally against something evil. Which there is not a lot of unity, and you see that a lot in the Return of the King with how the orcs treat each other. Um, you see that when Sam is rushing up to the tower, like how they just cut each other down. There's no real solidarity there. So solidarity, doing things for the benefit of the collective, and "Quote unquote greater good." It's like the overwhelming theme of Lord of the Rings. No, I, I think that's. I think that's. I think that pretty sums it up. It's like a, you could you could use their their. It's a, a revolutionary. They have revolutionary optimism that kind of brings them through to the end, despite overwhelming odds. Right? You know, like they. Yes, it is Gandalf that says hope is kindled after they light the beacon, and I think that's. Yeah, I wrote that one down too. And there's another. He has Gandalf always has these like little nuggets of like wisdom. I mean, he's Gandalf, of course he does. He's been living <laughs> forever, but he he has that. He brings them. To, well, I guess you could say he brings them together, and he's sort of like the leader of the vanguard. If he's like the principled Marxist, the one that's read all three volumes of Capital, like that's <laughs> that's what he is. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Gandalf has definitely read all three volumes like multiple times. He's just he's quoting volume three. He's quoting their like Marx's take on NFTs. He knows like volume four, even though it never came out. Like he <laughs> he's got... he, he could he could he should write volume four. Gandalf he could just uh, give us. Well, I guess now that capitalism has been destroyed in the ring, he can write his own Marxist theory. Gandalf theory. <laughs> Gandalf theory. Anarcho. Gandalfism. Yeah, no, I like that. I think, uh, I think, I think, I, I, I mean, I, I speak for uh, myself, I suppose. That I think we we did the uh, the movies and the books and the and these uh, justice in the Marxist lens. So, I sure hope so. It has been a work over the last six months, like going through the books and learning a lot of lore, and then also reading supplementary theory to accompany it this is not something that we just like woke up one day and we're just like you know let's just like record this like a lot of work went into making these it's it is absolutely true i think uh it's a, a labor of love because marxism and lord of the rings are both and i think they fit together i think some things when on this podcast movies might not have the best the analysis is thin like i did idiocracy it's a little bit thin but i think lord <laughs> of the rings des deservingly so given what it's i think brought to people and brought to all the things that have been brought from it all the stories and 
copycats and you know and i say that in a nice way of copycats <laughs> the, the 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 lore has brought new new material to everyone in the future we might have there'd be more marxist tolkienism maybe that'll be a new ml t marxist <laughs> Marxist tolkienist something like that tanky tolkien time yeah, to, to, yeah. To, to Tolkien, we call us tankies. I think. For, for, he might he might like the movies, but he wouldn't like this. He doesn't like he wouldn't like to be called oh, a reaction. Tolkien, I don't apologize. Anyway. Oh my god. It's hard. It's hard to end the the trilogy, but here we are, and. Uh, Rye, thank you for for sticking with <laughs> this episode and the, and the three episodes of of Left of the Projector. Anytime, Brent. I don't know. I don't know why I can't keep it together. Maybe it's to, maybe it's sad to end the uh, the end of the journey. Single tear. Into the we can go off to the Undying Lands, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe well, that's 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 too far. But anyway. <laughs> Anyway, thank you all to uh, who've stuck through the the trilogy of episodes, and you can like and subscribe on the podcast application of choice. <laughs>